0: The reading this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 to 18. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice.
1: Well, good morning to you all. It's great to see you this morning. And if we have a presentation, we can can go. That's great. Thanks very much. So as I, as I look round at you, I'm guessing that most of you have not been inside a prison. Uh, and if you have, David, I know you're different, but as I said, if you have, it probably wasn't as a prisoner. Uh, and if it was, then it probably wasn't for very long. Um, two or three years ago, when we were staying in the north of Scotland, we went to the old Peterhead prison. Uh, that's not now used as a prison, it's a museum. Uh, and it was a fascinating visit. But conditions were pretty grim, obviously, and the stories about what had happened there were, frankly, even worse. Prisons, even modern ones, are not comfortable or pleasant places, and they're not meant to be. And while we don't know very much about the conditions that the Apostle Paul was in when he wrote this letter to the Philippian church, we do know that he was in prison, and we do know that Romans were not renowned for comfy jails. Uh, these photos are supposed to be of the actual cell where Paul was imprisoned. I don't know whether it was, uh, but I, can be, I think we can be pretty sure uh, that even though he had the facilities to have visitors to write letters and so on, um, it was not a pleasant place. It didn't have electric light, for sure. Um, I can be pretty sure about that. Paul in this section describes himself as being in chains, and there is absolutely no reason to think that that was anything other than literal. It would undoubtedly have been dark and smelly, poor quality food, carrying heavy chains, limited capacity to move around. It would not have been a pleasant thing to be in prison. But what is quite striking about this short passage in Philippians is that there is absolutely no hint of self-pity from Paul. The past that had led up to this point had been difficult. The present conditions that he was in were dreadful, and the future prospects were desperate, But this didn't lead Paul to despair, or to denial, or to defensiveness, or to doubt. And instead, it led him to delight. And in particular, to delight that the gospel of Jesus Christ was being preached, was being proclaimed. And the key verse in our passage today is the last one uh, that we read, verse 18. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And we'll take those three sentences in that last verse as a as a guide for looking at this whole passage. What does it matter, <clears throat> Paul says? God is in control. God is sovereign. Paul was living in the light of God's sovereignty. Christ is preached, Paul says. And for Paul... Witnessing to the gospel and to the person of Jesus was the crucial thing in his life. And because of this, I rejoice, says Paul. Paul could look beyond the immediate challenges of and circumstances that he was in and rejoice in God's big picture, rejoice in Jesus being proclaimed. So we'll start with God is sovereign. And you may remember that last week, uh, our preacher, Ross Simmons, helpfully reminded us that God is in control that God has a plan for each of us. He has started something, it's his work, and he will not give up on us. God never stops. And Paul was confident of this, as we heard last week, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul's prayers, as Ross reminded us, were that in that day, the day of Christ, the Philippians would be found pure, pure, and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In verse 11, Paul took the long view and he prayed big. But in verse 12, where we started today, Paul steps away from that look towards the future, day of the Lord, towards the completion of God's work, recognizes that that's there and he talks about his current circumstances. And this section, uh, from verses 12 down to, to 18, where we've read, has been described as Paul's missionary report. It was his report back to his partners in the gospel in Philippi. And we've had a, a, a taste of that um, this morning. We've had um, a report about what's been happening in the Middle East. And although we have taken some precautions, for example, with the live stream, and I'm not mentioning her name, she's had the freedom to come and talk to us. And we can thank God for that. And we can uh, pray, as we have done, that she will be able to continue her work without hindrance. But not all of our missionary brothers and sisters or fellow Christians in other countries are at liberty to do that. And when we were in Keswick this year, we were connected uh, live at the time to a pastor in Nigeria, where a local uh, Christian family had been shot and killed uh, by the authorities and organizations such as Open Doors or Release International have details about men and women around the world who have been imprisoned for their faith. The gospel in Nigeria cannot be preached without casualties is the headline uh, from a, a local pastor, which forms the basis for Release International's report last month on a spate of killings and kidnappings of Christians in Nigeria. So, the circumstances in which Paul was preaching and the missionary report he was giving. were were difficult, but they're not completely different from the circumstances that many of our Christian brothers and sisters are in today. But when Paul says in verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, about what's happened to me, he is beginning his missionary report. And according to the commentators, this expression, I want you to know, is kind of a common phrase for letters of this time, although it's the only time, I think, that Paul uses it in his letters in the Bible. But what it shows is that this was something that he really wanted his uh, audience, his correspondents, to know about him. But although he says, I want you to know about me, about what's happened to me, what he then goes on to say is not actually about himself, mainly, but about the gospel. He does come to his own suffering later on. He doesn't ignore that uh, in the next passage. But at this point, his first concern, his absolutely first concern, is not his own difficulties, but the state of the gospel. He wants the Philippines to know that he is writing, uh, the Philippines that he's writing to, to know that whatever happened to him has actually served to advance the gospel. Uh, and sometimes it's the small words that strike you, isn't it? And that word actually has really uh, struck me this week. It's not a consequence that we would expect. Like the Philippines, we might have thought it was a disaster that the great apostle Paul, who was being so powerfully used to spread the gospel of Jesus, had been thrown into prison. What a disaster. But no, Paul tells tells those in Philippi, and he tells us, tells those in Philippi who were not only his admirers, but his friends, his fellow workers in the gospel, his brothers and sisters in Christ, those who were so worried about him, don't be concerned, he he says. Instead, rejoice. Rejoice that, that the work is being advanced, that the gospel is being advanced. This word advance is, is a, it's a kind of military term, uh, like an army moving forward to take control of an enemy area. The gospel was being advanced. It was progressing. It was spreading and increasing in range and influence and success. And this was not just despite Paul being in prison, but because he was in prison. Not just despite him being there, but because he was there. What's happened, Paul says, has actually helped advance the gospel. And we've talked about this before. Uh, God is big, God is good, and God is in control. God is sovereign. And even when things seem to be going wrong for us, they are proceeding according to God's perfect wisdom, his perfect knowledge, and his perfect plan. And that is deeply, deeply comforting. And God's plan here was for the gospel to advance, to make progress. I don't know if you remember what Job said in the Old Testament. After all his sufferings, his loss of his family, his business and his health, he says to God, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of God can be thwarted. Even when all looks lost and hopeless, shrouded in difficulty and problems, even then, God is big, he is good, he is in control, and he cannot be hindered or thwarted. Not by the devil, not by opposition, Not by natural disasters, not by you, and not by me. God is in control. You may remember uh, Amy Carmichael, the missionary to India, who knew a thing or two about suffering for the sake of the gospel. And as well as opposition from Hindus and from authorities, uh, she had an accident in which she broke her leg and ankle and she was confined to bed, pretty much, for 20 years of her life. But she said this, that God is the God of the waves and the billows. And they are still his when they come over us. And again and again, we have proved that the overwhelming thing does not overwhelm. Once more, by his interposition, by his intervention, deliverance came. This is not just about God snatching victory or deliverance out of the jaws of defeat. God is not surprised by anything. He's not surprised by prison or opposition or war or COVID or an energy crisis or a health crisis or family difficulties or church difficulties or anything else that may be disturbing you now. God is big. He is good and he is in control. And nearly 2000 years ago, the same thing was true. The gospel was not going to be hindered or restricted or thwarted by Paul being in prison. Instead, it was actually going to advance to progress, to spread, and to succeed. So how did that actually happen? Well, Paul goes on to note that his imprisonment has furthered the gospel in two ways, both inside and outside the prison. Inside the prison, his captors and his guards have been made aware of Christ, in verse 13, and then outside, believers in Rome are now more actively proclaiming Christ, in verse 14. So let's look first at how Paul witnessed inside the prison and you can imagine uh, Paul sitting there in chains with two Roman guards next to him uh, on either side and these were not just any old soldiers let me say these were uh, the Praetorian Guard. these were among the toughest elite of Caesar's soldiers his household bodyguards and Paul would not have just sat there quietly would he? you can't imagine Paul ever sitting quietly actually he would have preached the gospel to them He'd have told them he was there as a follower of Jesus. Maybe he'd have used the words of 1 Corinthians 15. By this gospel you are saved. It is of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter. And then to many others. And last of all, Paul says he appeared to me also. It was personal to Paul by the grace of God. Some of the soldiers who heard that may have scoffed. Others may have listened. And then when the soldiers time to change guard came and they moved on to be replaced by others, Paul would have given thanks to God and started all over again and started preaching to them too. You need to understand, he would say, that Jesus came to die for your sins and be buried and be raised again, and he's my God. And you can imagine, can't you, the scene in the guardhouse when soldiers are being given their rotors. I don't want to do duty with Paul again, they would say. Look, he never shuts up. He's always going on about his God and this bloke called Jesus. It's wearing me down. You can imagine the, the scene in the guardhouse as the soldiers want to avoid that. And so different pairs of soldiers would be assigned to duty with Paul. And then they had four alley rotors, And you can imagine in this way, eventually the whole guard would have been exposed to Paul's preaching of the word of the gospel. And as I said, most probably ignored it or are unmoved by it or resented it. But others of these tough soldiers of Caesar's household were undoubtedly affected. They must have spoken to their friends and their comrades about the things that Paul was saying. And in the circumstances, there can have been no doubt about why Paul was there. He was not there for wrongdoing, but he was there for what he believed and the person in whom he believed. And some were clearly converted by this. If you look at the end of this letter to the Philippians, in chapter 4 and verse 22, at the end, it, said, uh, it says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul couldn't go out and find others to preach to, to convert. He was in chains. He was tied up. So God brings potential converts to him. And to borrow the words from verse 18, uh, even in these difficult circumstances, he rejoiced to preach the gospel. It's worth taking a moment just to think about what we what we mean by that. So we, I've talked a lot about preaching the gospel. What does, that, what does that really mean? And the word translated gospel is a Greek word, uh, euangelion, from which we get the word evangelism or evangelical, as in Ferny Hill Evangelical Church. We are, or should be, a church of the gospel. And the word gospel is used uh, more times in Philippians than in any other of the epistles apart from Romans, which of course is nearly four times as long. And in his commentary, Gordon Fee says this, by the gospel, especially in Philippians, Paul refers primarily neither to a body of teaching nor to proclamation. Above all, the gospel has to do with Christ both his person and his work to preach Christ as we have in verses 15 and 16 is to preach the gospel which is all about Christ to preach the gospel is to proclaim God's news of salvation that he's affected or is achieved in Christ as elsewhere Christ and the gospel are at times nearly interchangeable There's a lot of words there. I understand that. That's why I put them up on the screen. But if I can summarize them, it's this. To preach the gospel is pretty much the same as to preach Christ. And we should not get, therefore, get hung up about it. And we should also remember that preaching is not just about what I'm doing now, standing at the front of a church and speaking to people. It's whenever we talk to Jesus about, talk to other people uh, about Jesus. When we display Jesus in the way we live our lives, in our behaviors, in our interactions with other people. When we do that, we are preaching the gospel. We are proclaiming Jesus. Another commentator says this, The Christian gospel is the universal message of God's saving grace through faith in Christ, the message of his kingdom over which Jesus reigns. Paul's gospel encompasses Jesus' entire life. His incarnation, sacrificial death, burial, resurrection, post-resurrection appearances and ascension it is the spirit empowered message the spirit empowered message not yours or mine it is the spirit empowered message by which god calls and reconciles people to himself we need to live by it and people will one day be judged by it so the gospel is full it is magnificent it is great it is deep But to put it more simply we can use the words that paul used when he was miraculously released from his previous imprisonment when he was in philippi And you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, Andrew Baskate uh, talked about the jailer in Acts 16, who was to become one of the founding members of the church in Philippi that Paul is now writing to. And the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And what was Paul's reply? You all know this. It was simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. In these uh, days of religious pluralism, it's become a bit unfashionable for to use such simple language. And I have often been accused of not using simple language. Um, But for Paul, Jesus was quite simply his whole life. In verse 21 of this chapter, he says, For for to me, to live is Christ. In Galatians 2.20, he says, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. By faith in who? In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, unlike me and maybe unlike you, Paul was not at all embarrassed by the gospel or its simplicity or its transforming power. He would proclaim it to the sophisticated court of emperors and to hard-bitten Roman soldiers exactly the same way. And we are to do the same to proclaim it, to proclaim Jesus in all circumstances, in what we say, in what we do, and in our attitudes and our life to others around us. So, so much for inside the prison. What about outside the prison? Verse 14. It was not just the guards and their friends who were affected by Paul's preaching. The other brothers and sisters, the other Christians in Rome, were also strengthened and encouraged by what they saw and heard. Paul was a model to them, and they saw that his imprisonment didn't uh, prevent the gospel being spread, and so they became more confident themselves in preaching. And interestingly, it says that they became confident, not in themselves, not in Paul, but in the Lord. And it also says that they dared all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So it looks from this passage as if the other Christians in Rome mostly were emboldened and motivated by love, verse 16. Love both for the Lord and for Paul to preach the good news of Jesus more fervently as a result of Paul being in prison. And Paul rejoices in that. Obviously he rejoices in that. We all rejoice when we hear the gospel proclaimed in that way. But then we have a little bit of a difficulty because it would seem that some... A few were preaching from envy and rivalry, verse 15, and out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, verse 17. But what's surprising here is that Paul doesn't condemn these preachers, even though in the next chapter, in chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul tells the Philippians to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But despite that, Paul here rejoices that whatever their motivations, still they are preaching christ and to be honest it's quite difficult to know what's going on here and the commentators seem not to be entirely sure either but it would appear that these wrongly motivated preachers were still part of the christian community still part of the church in rome they were not opponents of the gospel they weren't heretics they maybe had a different perspective to paul's and maybe had had a personal dislike of him maybe they saw him as an upstart a newcomer on the block it's possible this was part of the Jewish believers coming into the uh, coming to terms with the Gentiles, the Greeks, people like you and me, being brought into the Christian fold. But whatever is happening, what's important here is to note that Paul is not condoning bad or false teaching, just bad or false motivation. And one commentator says, Paul's attitude went like this. If you preach the true gospel, I don't care what your motives are. If your motives are bad... God will deal with you, but at least the gospel is preached. But if you preach a false gospel, I don't care how good your motives are, you're dangerous and must stop preaching your false gospel, and good motives don't excuse your false message. The importance of a true gospel is what is critical. And in the end, the gospel makes nothing of me, makes nothing of you, it makes everything of Christ. And you'll remember last week, Ross... Uh, when he was talking uh, to us, he talked about the me-me monster. And we find that very evident in our own lives. But that's not the Christian way. John the Baptist said of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Jesus is the one we are to rejoice in. And when he is preached properly, we're to rejoice in that, whoever is doing it and from whatever motivation and rejoicing is another word that is characteristic of this epistle that we'll see over the next few weeks as we go through it in more detail. It's used nine times, I think, uh, in Philippians. And chapter 4 and verse 4 is a key verse that I'm sure many of us are familiar with. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. I was reminded the other day uh, of, the, of the old mnemonic that some of you may recall, um, setting out the route to true joy. And some of you may know this. Others of you may not. What's the route to joy? Jesus first, others next, yourself last. I don't know if that rings a bell with any of you. It was uh, an oft-repeated um, phrase in the household uh, when I was growing up. Jesus first, others next, yourself last. It's a simple, straightforward pretty good guide to the christian life and it's really really hard to do and to do consistently or at least maybe that's just me but it is it's absolute truth and living like that jesus first others next yourselves last is how we can begin to apply this passage to ourselves in 21st century fernie hill because after all of this all after all these words the question is so what so what? So what does this mean for you? What does it mean for me? And First of all, I think we have to go back to, uh, to God's sovereignty. The fact that God is big and good and in control. And it may be that very few of us will face the level of persecution that Paul did. But even the very low levels of discomfort that most of us uh, experience when we want to preach Jesus and proclaim him as Saviour can make us a bit fearful about what will happen, either to us or to others. But if this passage teaches us anything, it seems to me, it is that God uses what seems to us to be negative or regressive circumstances, difficult challenges, he uses them for positive purposes. It may be in your life, it may be in someone else's life, it may be for the advance of the gospel, it may be for something many years down the the line that we do not know about. But God uses negative circumstances, negative events for positive purposes. So we rightly pray for relief and freedom for persecuted and imprisoned Christians. It's right to do that. It's right to pray for doors to open that they can be able to preach to others. But whatever happens, whatever happens, we can rest in the fact that God is in control. There's an old hymn, isn't there? God is working his purposes out. As year succeeds to year, to the time that shall surely be when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. God is working his purposes out and he cannot be thwarted in any of his plans. Paul puts it another way and makes it personal, doesn't he? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the first thing for us to really grip and get hold of is that God is in control and he will achieve his own ends. The second thing, I think, is a bit of a question, and I wonder who the Roman soldiers are in your life. What do I mean by that? I mean, who are the people who, for whatever reason, are tied to your side, or living outside your cell, as it were, or brought to be around you in some way? Maybe they're your neighbours. Maybe they're your work colleagues. Maybe your friends, companions at school or university. Maybe people that you have to deal with that you really don't want to. And too often, they're the people that we most shy away from speaking to about Christ. But our responsibility is simply to proclaim Christ wherever we can. Maybe these days it's harder for you to get out to find potential converts to to people to talk to. But maybe God is bringing them to you instead And although it's difficult, maybe we need to see sometimes the change, the limitations, the the difficulties in our lives as an opportunity, not a problem. And maybe, to go back to last week and what Ross was saying about the rejigging of the spokes of a bicycle, maybe that's part of what God has in mind for us. And as I say that, I want to make two points, two important things. One is that we're not all natural evangelists. We're not all natural speakers. And certainly none of us are of the same order and character as Paul himself. And the second thing is that unlike Paul, I I am not a model and I am not setting myself forward as a model to follow. There are others in the congregation who are much more models of this than I am. Their ability and readiness to speak to others puts me entirely to shame. However, do not use either of these two things to be an excuse for what you can do. So God is big and good and in control. Let's think about who the people are, the Roman soldiers that you can be uh, connected to. And third of all, rejoice. Rejoice in what God has done for you. Rejoice in the salvation that Jesus has secured. Rejoice in the cross. Rejoice in the resurrection. But don't just rejoice in the things that are for you. Rejoice in the great things that God has done and is doing. And above all, rejoice whenever you see or hear Jesus lifted high. That is of the first importance. And remember, Jesus first, others next, yourself last. And do all of that in the knowledge that God desires everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to be brought into his kingdom. And in a moment, uh, we're going to sing about bringing light into the world because Jesus is coming back. And what we understand here is that God is working and we are working with him too. It is not one or the other. God works and we have a responsibility to work with him and to reach out to others. What God wants to achieve will be achieved. Our responsibility is to work with him in that. But if Jesus is coming back, that is really good news to proclaim. It's good news for everyone who knows him and who loves him. In the end, what what does anything else matter? What does anything else matter? The important thing is that in every way Christ is preached. And in that, I rejoice. I rejoice. Let's just take a moment to pray. Father God, we leave ourselves entirely in your hands. You are the sovereign God. You are in control. You can be hindered and thwarted in no thought of yours. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, much greater than our thoughts. And you have moved in ways that are beyond our comprehension to come into this scene in the person of Christ. And Jesus has died for us. He's taken our sins upon himself. He's taken our guilt upon himself. And he's dealt with it. And Father, as a result, we are liberated. Help us in our liberation and in our freedom to use that to bring the good news of Jesus to others, to bring others into the glory of your intentions for them, to bring light to the world, we pray. And Father, bless the word as it's been spoken here. May there be nothing of the speaker left, but everything of Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen.